This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Good. It's on? I don't know where you went. Okay. <coughs> I hope it's on. Okay, so this week is Pasha Shmini. But before we get to Pasha Shmini, um, I just want to say one vart on Purim that just passed that came to me on Purim itself, which is very fascinating. So we talked a lot about... Um, the last Purim Shiurim talked a lot about that Haman Mena Eitz, that Haman was the Nachash, and that Mordechai was Adam, and that Esther was Chava, and it was this war. I don't know if I gave it to you in the last week's Shiur, but I gave two Shiurim since then. I spoke about it, and um, it was this huge war that happened. So, beautiful, beautiful shot. I was saying it a whole Purim. But <coughs> we have a mitzvah to drink, Adela Yodda, Right? Which I'm sure some of you kept that mitzvah. A lot of people like to keep that mitzvah. Right? That you have to drink enough Adulay Yodna until you don't know. Bain, Baruch Marachai, Pretty much until you don't know between good and bad. So if you look at what happened at the tree, right? Thank you very much. Did you turn it on yet? Yeah. Oh, okay. So if you look at what happened at the tree, this is what happened. And the Nachash said to the woman, You surely will not die. Because Hashem knows. The day that you're going to eat from the tree, your eyes will open. You'll be like God. You'll know the difference between good and bad. And when he told her that, she realized that Hashem has something that we don't have. That's what she ate from the tree. So what was her Avera, guys? Her Avera was that she wanted to eat from the tree because Hashem had one thing that we didn't have. What was that? That he knew between Toiv and Ra. He knew between good and bad. So how how are we masaking that? Her Avera was because she ate from the tree because she wanted to know what's between good and bad. So the way we're masaking on a Purim is that we drink enough wine at the Loyanda until we don't know the difference between good and bad. And we show Hashem that we're very big with We don't need to know between good and bad. We think Haman's good. We think Mordechai is bad. We don't know the difference. So we're masaking her Avera. Her Avera was to know being Toiv We drink enough wine to be masaking that, that until we don't know being Toiv that's a, uh, I thought that was a fantastic shot. I was telling you all over the place. Okay. So, Baruch Hashem, very much moving very much along um, on the um, Sefer on Hakar Satov. And I can tell you that the more we write the Sefer on Hakar Satov, the more I see in this world that there is no Hakar Satov. This, this generation has no, has absolutely no appreciation of anything they, not from you guys, but they just feel everything is due to them. It's like you buy them something, it's like, why isn't it bigger? Why isn't it newer? Um, and the more you do for people, the people you do the most for will do the least for you. It's a, it's a, it's a fact. It's, well, I try to speak the truth. But, um, but it's, no, it's, it's very, 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 very true. We're very disappointed this week. We have a, a, a dinner, um, it's a Shem Monday to raise money for Anava for everything that I do. So um, you'd think that all the Arnava people, all the girls, everybody would be flooding my office to make phone calls to help us. Not one in three days. Not well, maybe one, but seminary, all that. And and like we're, we're very frustrated. Like these are the girls that we're helping. Why aren't they helping us? And the answer is, so you're helping me, new. 
it's like crazy. So, so it's very, very important that we, uh, that, and, and you see it in life, the more you expect from someone because you did them something good, the less, no expectations, you can't have expectations. It's something that I've discussed many times, that you have to, if you want to be successful in life, you want to have really healthy friendships, you can't expect anything from anyone because you're just going to be let down. Even in, ma- in marriage and anything that you do in any relationship, what you do for someone else is because you want to do it. Because you want to do it, so therefore it does not matter if that person does it back. Yes, it's a hard nisayan. It's a very hard test to continuously do for someone and they continuously, you need them and they don't show up. Or you don't even need them, but they just don't thank you. It's very, very hard. It's a very big nisayan. And if you want to be someone who works in Tzachit Tzibra or works with kids, you just have to learn that lesson. That You know what? I'm doing it because I want to do it. Because it's the right thing. Because it's what Hashem wants me to do. If you don't thank me, it's your problem. If you don't have that midah of being thankful, it's not my problem. It's your problem. So we're in the middle of writing the Sefer. Um, we have 180 days done already. And uh, we hope to have it out for Elul. And it's on our Karasa We're starting a whole foundation. We're going to speak about it because relationships between husband and wives, if they'd have our Karasa for each other, would be a lot better. And between parents and children, forget about it. Kids today, they don't have to give it a name because what do you mean? I cannot tell you, in the last three years, where, can open the door, he's locked down. Um, in the last three years, where I'm sitting with kids, I'm sitting with kids, and I'm telling them, how could you do this to your parents? Like, like, you know, they give you, they give you everything. They, mamish give you everything. And their answer to me is, and I, and I hear this all the time, and this is such a sick answer, but this is a generation. What do you mean they give me stuff? That's their job. I hear it all the time. That's their job. Oh, my wife cooks for me? I should thank her? She cleans the house? That's her job. Oh, my worker is killing himself for me? That's his job. I pay him for that. Those three words are relationship breakers. What do you mean mean that's her job? Who gave out jobs? Where is it saying the Torah... Just the opposite, by the way. These people are Amaratsim, because the father, after a boy is 13, has no achrayas in the Zainas. It says, the Gemara says, the kid has, the father can tell the kid, go, go collect money, go collect tzedakah, go from door to door. He's not machayim in the Zainas to a kid. So what do you mean? That's his job. And that, that, that's, those three words are very big, a very big relationship breaker. It's nobody's job. Nobody's job to take care of you. It's nowhere. It's Hashem's job. Kid yesterday, I had this whole discussion with the, Agnostic and atheist. Hashem took two hours and he left a from good kid. But, uh, it's, it's, it's so, it's, it's just, it's, it's so interesting that smart people are atheists. Because it's downright so stupid to, especially for a smart person, but it's so stupid to believe that the world came into existence by itself. Even science teaches us in the greatest science minds that we can't create something from nothing. So you can split an atom, you can put two atoms together, you can, you can build things from things that you have, but human being has not been able to create a grain of sand from nothing. So there has to be a creator. Someone, something, whatever you want to call Hashem, we don't know who He is, created this world and created everything that, you know, I'm on that plane today, I'm like, it's crazy, I'm sitting on that plane, I'm like, the human being created the technology, not created, Hashem gave him the technology, to fly the plane. But Hashem had to put it into the Bria 
that there's a thing called gravity and all the, all the things in physics you have to put into the Bria because without that being in the Bria you can't fly you can't fly so you have to make it possible for a 50,000 ton piece of metal to fly 40,000 feet in the air so even with our technology if the earth you know if, if, if the gravity and all the other you know physical aspects that you have to go 225 miles an hour and if the wings are pointed in a certain way you're going you're gonna to leave the ground right you have to put that into the Bria or you can be Flying where you want, you're not going to get off the ground. So he put, you know, he hid himself. And I was telling this kid yesterday that Hashem, Hashem hid himself in, in technology, and he's it's way above anything that you know that happened by Kriyas Yamsuf. Kriyas Yamsuf is nothing compared to what, what's going on today. You know, Kriyas Yamsuf, it says they saw each other across the Yamsuf. Big deal. I, I, how far? How, how much is across the Yamsuf? I can see my daughter in Eretz Yisrael. I can Skype her. They, that's crazy, right? I mean, they, it says that they talked. From one shaver to the other, 12 shvatim. We could talk to anybody that we want. I mean, cars, they had donkeys. You know, they had to schlep through the, through the Yamsuf. I didn't have to. I got on the plane in Chicago, sat on my seat, and two, and a, two hours later I got off the plane in New York. I didn't take one step, right? Just to get my luggage. That was it. So, so, I was telling this guy yesterday, I'm like, if you're an atheist, you're, you're, you're a fool. So of course I got to the point. I'm like, so what happened? What's, why do you have to get rid of Hashem? You know, this guy's married for a very short while, and his, his wife can't believe, you know, thinks he's or whatever. And, and I said, like, you know, let's let's skip all the God stuff. I don't even want to bother with that. What's going on? What happened to you in yeshiva? What's your trauma? You know, where do you want to go? What kind of various do you want to do? What, you know, you're not stupid. You know there's a creator, right? And you also know that we don't understand everything about the creator because it's way above us. And we, we understand that there are things that are, you know, I've flown a plane. I don't know how it flies. I have no idea. I trust that whoever built the plane and there's a pilot. I don't know him. I didn't meet him. I don't know what he looks like. I don't know his family. I don't know anything about him. But I know he flies a plane. Right? So, so I don't need to know. All of a sudden, God, you need to know. Oh! I told the guy yesterday, I'm like, he needs to, oh, you need to know God! What does he look like? Who's his father? One second, you went on a plane, you didn't know, you didn't even know, a plane! You didn't even ask the pilot, who's your father? You know, where do you come from? Are you drunk? Do you drink? Maybe he's suicidal. Maybe he's, Depressed, right? You trust. You have, you have trust in a pilot, but you don't have trust in God, who's running a whole world. And, 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 and an earth that has no strings and no, no nothing. And it's very interesting. I was reading a book about meteors. Do you know what meteors are? It's like things from space that come flying into, towards earth. They have asteroids and meteor, and they have, they have pieces of metal that we have satellites that come out of, you know, orbit. Hashem. So here you have this earth, right? In the middle of nowhere. With nothing holding it up. It's just there, right? And Hashem created the world with a barrier. There are thousands of meteors that hit Earth every day. They start off huge asteroids, huge boulders that would that would destroy half of New York City. But once when it's going through our, our, our atmosphere, it burns up and it ends up landing in a field somewhere, a grain of sand. So Hashem didn't only create a world that's out there, out there, but what you cannot see, because you can't see it with your eye, right, is this atmosphere, this protection that he put around the earth, right, that anything that comes towards the earth burns up. Why do you do that? Why do you do that? Burns up in the atmosphere. It burns up in the atmosphere to protect us. So every day, you have these huge things coming at us, like bombs from, from the other, from outside in space. You don't even know about it. Why? Hashem created this atmosphere. So I'm like, so you think, I told this guy yesterday, I said, so you think this whole atmosphere around the earth that burns up anything that tries to come into the earth, 
just happened. Just happened. The atmosphere happened, the earth happened, plants grow, and the sun, everything just happened. I said, how could you be so stupid? I mean, that's stupid. That's not, that, it's, it, that's, but he reads books. He reads books on all the stuff. I'm like, you're reading books. You want, you're reading books of atheists, but there's a lot of books you can read. There's a, there's a math book that's called Flatlands. It's very, very brilliant. It's, it's, it's written by one of the greatest mathematicians that ever lived. And he proves God through math. The guy. So I asked him, did you read Flatlands? What? What's that? I'm like, so you're only looking, you're only looking to get out. You only, you know, there's a reason that you want to get out. I don't believe that they're atheists. I, I believe they're just people who, um, and, and this week's parsha is the two proofs, by the way, that Hashem, that Hashem did create the world. Not that He created the world, two proofs that He gave us the Torah. Because in this, in this parsha, it tells us the chazir, the pig, um, is the only animal in the world that has split hooves and doesn't chew its cud. Now, if anyone wrote the Torah, right, if I wrote the Torah, I would never put something in it that you could disprove. What do I have to put that in there for? I have to make a statement? Hashem was sending us a little message to tell us that, by the way, I created the world because if I write in the Torah that there is no animal except the pig, if you find an animal outside of the pig, then the Torah is false. So how could someone know every animal in the world? We, we're still finding new animals today. And the answer is, if I created every animal, I could tell you I didn't create an animal except the pig that that, that has split hooves and doesn't chew its cud. So there's a very open, clear proof that the Torah was written by God. Until... Someone finds an animal that has split hooves and doesn't chew its cud and it's not a pig. And so far, since the beginning of creation, we haven't found that animal. Then the Torah tells us there's no fish in the world that has scales and no fins. Now, you can tell me Moshe Rabbeinu wrote the Torah and he was a zoologist and he knew every animal in the world even though he definitely was, he was in the Middle East. He didn't know what was going on in the Amazon, right? But fish, fish are on the bottom of the sea. We can't even see them. Never has a fish come up in the net from the bottom of the sea that has scales and doesn't have fins. So Hashem put these two little proofs <coughs> in the Torah for those who are looking for proofs that He exists. That's in, we'll talk about it soon. That's in this week's passion. So anyway, so I'm very big into this book that I'm putting out with uh, Rabbi Finkelman. And yesterday I saw the beginning of my Sefer Zechronos, which is a separate book which we're going to put out in its Hashem and Elul. Where you get a book and you put your name on it, in it, and every single day you can write in that book. Um, I thank my mother, father, um, relative, Rebbe, Hashem, you have all these different things, and you can write every single day. For one thing, I thank for this, for this, for this. At the end of the year, you bring it to Shul Rosh Hashanah. He said, Kishbuchu, I have a book here called Sefer Zechronos, and all I wrote into this book is what, good, what people did good. So you can only look at my book, what I did good. It's Mamash, uh, a savior so we're doing that and I can't announce the other thing because it might go public and sell for 19 billion so we'll see what happens but we're doing something where you could use an app and for the people who don't want to write it in a book and you can use an app to say thank you and then you push a button let's say you're writing in your book um, I want to thank my my wife you know for so and so for what she did today and then you can push a button and it'll go straight to her so it's not only in your book, but it goes to her. Your father, you imagine your mother is about to go to sleep and all of a sudden she gets from her son, you know, thank you ma for this and this that you did today. You change your whole life. It's a, it's a life, what we're about to do, I believe is a life changing, a life changer for Kaleistrom. Big time. So we're very, very excited about it. And then maybe someone will pick up the app for 19 billion. I won't have to go collect for it now anymore. I'll even take 1 billion, you know. We'll see what happens. What? 
also. Yeah, it's for everybody. Of course it is. Thank you, thank you, Ed. Yeah. Now that I made it public, I don't know. I mean, I should have shouldn't have told anybody. They're gonna grab it. Could you imagine that? A thank you app? Could you imagine every night you can thank someone? And you maybe can send it to yourself. Thank, you know, I want to thank myself for being me. I'm sure that'll be pretty busy. Right? So. All right, anyway, so where did I get all this from? Unbelievable medrash. Unbelievable medrash. And this is what got me going crazy last year. The medrash says the following. The Medrash says that Achashverosh did four good things. Where are you? What? I'm in Esterava, yeah, but I want to find what he says. I marked it off. I folded the page. Anyway, it says here that one of the four, one of the four things. Ah, here it is. Rav Shmuel ben Amy, said that Achashverosh performed four good actions. Okay, one. He managed three years without a crown and three years without a throne. And he waited four years until he found a suitable wife. He didn't jump into it. He would do nothing before consulting. He always he had always asked his advisors before he did anything, even though he was the king. <laughs> and here's the reason I wrote the sefer. Amar Pinchas, Rab Pinchas said, "Anybody who did him something good, right, he would write it down. When anyone did him a favor, he would record it, as it says by and it was." He found written what, what that Mordechai had told him about Bixen Viserish. So really, that's what really saved Mordechai and Kleisro was the Royal Book of Chronicles, was the Sefer Zechreinites that he went into, because that's what he said Zechreinites. That's when he told Haman to, to pull him through. And then, of course, Mordechai became very close to Achishverosh later on. So, um, the Sefer Zechreinites had a very big kayach. So if, if the Gemara, if the Medrash is telling us that Rav Pinchas says that the fourth thing that was good about him was that he never, ever, someone did him a favor, did he ever not write it down? I, when I learned this, I said to myself, uh-oh, I don't think I ever wrote down if someone did me a favor. So it's a very big lesson from a guy that he did this, you know, surely for us. That's when the idea last year, when I saw this Medrash last year, so the idea came to, to start the Sefer Zechariah. So Mitzvah Shem, we're going to have it. We're very excited about it. Um, coming up in El. Okay, a little advertising. All right, this week's Pasha is Pasha Shmini. Aaron Akrain is told to take an Egel, Kachlocha Egel Ben Bakar. This was a Kapora <coughs> for the Egel that he did. Also, what's another Kapora for the Egel? Paraduma. We say that the mother is Mechapar on the child. So, um, he brings out a fantastic story here. In Aleno Shabayach. And he tells us that everything, we know this, we talk about this all the time, that everything in this world is Mida Kenege Mida, right? So he says a, a story, he says that, um, there was someone, a very big tzaddik in Petach Tikva, and his name was Rapinchas Yosef Rabinowitz. 
he's the father of Mordechai Rabinowitz, and he passed away. And the funeral was huge, huge funeral. The whole Petach Tikva, thousands of people gathered together um, to to bring him to the Beisach Forest. Like the whole city was just black, suits and black walking with him. At the same time that Rapinchas Yosef's funeral was being held, there was another funeral that was going through the area. A 103-year-old woman had passed away. She had no relatives, and all of her friends were gone. She's 103. So there was therefore only a handful. They didn't even have a minion that was walking along with her, with the body. So, because her funeral was held at the same time as Rapinchas Yosef, so it turned out, when everyone saw this body with nobody with it, all the yeshiva boys, hundreds and hundreds of yeshiva boys, went to accompany her to the kever. So there were there were some tamidei chachamim there, and they were wondering what did this woman do to deserve such a such a crazy leviah, such a big leviah. So this is how Kadosh works, unbelievable. Hashem is, is has our Satov, and he always pays back. So they learned the following. This lady lived in Haifa, not in Petak Tikva. And the local Chaver Kadisha planned to bury her in the Haifa cemetery. As they were beginning to, to do the Tahara on the body, it occurred to them that she was married. Maybe she'd want to be buried next to her husband. But let's find out where her husband is buried. So the members of Chaver Kadisha started calling around there to throw all the different Chaver Kadishas to find out where this, where this husband was born, was buried. So, they finally found it, and they found that he was buried in Petach Tikva. So they came to Petach Tikva to see if he bought uh, a plot next to himself for her. He didn't. There was no burial plot that had been purchased. But, to everyone's surprise, the spot next to him, which was he had died many years ago, was not taken. It was empty. So they decided that it must be Hashem reserved this for her, and they, and they buried her there. So they started to ask, ask around people. So a woman, to, did she get buried in Petach Tikva next to her husband? She's supposed to get buried in Haifa. That this huge, the only reason that she was part of this big funeral was because she came to Petach Tikva. Had she been buried in Haifa, nothing would have happened, right? So they found out that 80 years before, when she was in her 20s, um, she was in America. She was an American. And that was, in those days, Tovadath, Yeshiva Tovadath, Rabbi Menowitz, in those days, they didn't, they didn't have money at all. She decided on her own accord to go raise money for Tovadath. She went from house to house collecting money. And he says even the woman herself probably forgot that she did it. But because she exerted herself that so many people could learn in Yeshiva, she married, she specifically merited a huge crowd of Yeshiva boys. The guys that broke away from the funeral were Yeshiva boys. The reason that she was merited to have yeshiva boys was because she helped yeshiva tovadas. She helped yeshiva boys, so Hashem helped us. So he made her, she was supposed to be buried in Haifa, she ended up in Petatikva on the same day that this person died. So there were a lot of yeshiva boys, and they took her to the Basic Forest. And there's no God, right? Okay, sure. This guy was there yesterday. When I think about the Hashgach, he started Hashgach Pratis. That's what he wanted to know about Hashgach Pratis. Right? I'm saying, so if a person just looks for it, if you look for it, you find it. If you don't want to look for it, then everything is uh, Amalek. Amalek is Ashikach Abaderech. They haven't met you in the way. By them, it's just, you know, luck. You know, stuff happens. Stuff happens, man. You know? No Hashgach Pratis. Stuff happens. That's Ashikach Abaderech. <coughs> okay, that's one story. Um, Another story. So they went. They told of Chaim Kainesky the story about this woman, and he was very excited. And he said, "I want to tell you a story that I know about." And he told, he told him a story that um, 
there was a woman that was in a car accident. She was hit by a car and um, near the main shul in B'nai Brak. And in those days, when she got hit by the car, someone in Eretz they used to do autopsies on all the bodies. They used to always do autopsies before the Haredim got them to stop. Um, so nobody was able, it was an old woman, nobody was able to identify who she was. So they know that the police were going to take her now, and they, you know, they'll cut her off, they'll check her teeth to figure out who she is and whatever it is. So, so Tamidich Chachamim came, and they carried her body into one of the rooms of the shul, away from the police. And then they went around with, you know, those loudspeakers they go in there to sell in the cars? They went around and they said that there's a mace mitzvah, a deceased person who no one, ha- who doesn't have funeral arrangements near the main shul, and everybody needs to come to, to walk with this mace mitzvah. It's a big Indian. So within a short time, thousands of people, many Rosh Hashivas and Gedalim, we don't get a chance to be Makai and mace mitzvah very often. And, um, when the, when the cops saw thousands of people, they said, forget it, we're not gonna start a whole big, a whole big riot. Let them bury him whatever they want. Okay. So, Rav Chaim was wondering, Rav Chaim Kainas was wondering, what did she do to merit this, that, you know, she was protected from an autopsy? So he says that Rav Chaim Kainas's mother, right, the wife of the holy Stipler, Stipler Goyen, knew this woman from Kovno, right, during the Holocaust. And she told Rav Chaim that during the Holocaust, she used to go and take the dead bodies of the Jews, and she used to bury them. She used to go all over the place where there were dead bodies, and she used to bury them. So the Rav Chaim told everyone, she went and buried all those bodies, so she was protected from an autopsy. Now this is the one you're going to like the best. Um, I know this, I, I, I mean I heard this story many times, maybe some of you have, maybe some of you have not, but this is a very ridiculous story. So during World War II, um, in England, so many of the yeshivas had no food. One of these yeshivas was a yeshiva called Torres Emmes in London. And they had hundreds of students, and there was no bakery in London. You know, they used to have these blackouts in London, and the Germans used to bomb out London. So none of the bakeries in London would provide the yeshiva with bread. It was a very big shortage of bread. Um, so, Rav Schneider, who was Rosh Hashiva of Torres Emmes, found out that there was a bakery on the outskirts of the city, outside of London, that was willing to provide sacks of bread to the yeshiva every day, but you'd have to come very, very, very early in the morning when it's very cold, right, and rainy, <coughs> you'd have to come and get the bread. Okay? So there was one bacher in yeshiva, one boy, who told Rosh Yeshiva, listen, I'll get up 3 o'clock in the morning, I'll walk out, it's an hour walk, I'll pick up the bread, and I'll schlep the bags, to, you know, that everyone should have something to eat. Okay, so he had no vehicle, he had to walk every day to pick, he walked every day to pick up the bread. One day, Yeshiva, right, Ramesh Schneider, called him over, and he said to him, I just want you to know, because what you do every day, I give you a bracha, bread, right, bread, lechem, is a, is a sign of panasa. That's what lechem is. So he said, I give you a bracha, you should become very, very wealthy, and your wealth should last for a very long time. Who was this Bachar? Anyone here know? Who was this boy? Who did he grow up to be? Moshe Reichman. The Reichman from Canada. The famous Moshe Reichman. That's who, what? Wait, we're not there yet. So he became Moshe Reichman. Then there was another Bachar in Yeshiva, Torah Emes. He got up early, early in the morning to wake everyone up for chakras. He would go from room to room and he would wake up hundreds of students. One day, Yeshiva approached him. And he said, in the, in the merit of waking up the Bukhur, Bukhrib, 
then you're going to, you're going to, may you merit to awaken and inspire the entire Jewish people with Torah. And he became Rabbi Moshe Sternbuch. And I heard, I heard from a few people that Rabbi Moshe Reichman said, I wish I would have been the one who woke up all the boys. And Rabbi Sternbuch didn't say, I wish I was the one who went and got the bread. He said, he said, I got, I got the bracha, but I wish I would, I would have been the one who woke up the boys and I would have gotten that bracha. That's what Rabbi Moshe Reichman said. So it's a, Big, big stuff. Okay. There's a, <coughs> there's a very fascinating mom is this week's parasha, but you have to take it with a grain of salt because you can take it in a very bad way. Um, so i got to be careful how I teach it to you. I remember learning this the first time with my father, Lord Shalom. <coughs> and it talks about <coughs> specifically, specifically why the Chazar is the one that's of all the tray for animals. You ask any kid, name me a tray for animals. Go to Yeshiva. Name me a, a, an animal that's not kosher or pig, right? In our heads, chazer? I don't eat chazer. I mean, uh, I eat unkosher meat, a Burger King, well, horse meat. I don't eat chazer. A lot of people tell me. I eat everything. I, 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 don't eat, I don't eat shrimp. I don't eat lobster and I don't eat pig. Right? But, but Nevela is no problem. Plain meat does not kashechted, right? Well, okay, the mice, whatever, whatever they do, it's, so why did pig get this, get this, uh, like, it is the trafe thing? And the answer is, um, that the most dangerous, unkosher simon in the world is when someone puts out a pig, the way he sits is his hands, his front, his forelegs, the ones with the split hooves, right? He puts that in front of him. So what he's saying to everyone is, look, I'm kosher. Cause you can't tell if something chews its cut. I mean, you can watch it, like a, a camel and a horse. You can see, but, but Lamai, I mean, uh, um, uh, a cow, they're continually chewing. But Lamaisa, he puts out his simon and he says, look at me, you know, I dive in 40 minutes more than you. I'm, I'm really, really kosher. I'm really kosher. That's the most dangerous person in the world. The person who you see who he is, what you, what you see is what you get. Okay, so you know who you're dealing with. But the person who puts on the show, right, that I'm really holy and I'm really this, and inside he's really not, that's the most dangerous. The chazer looks like he's kosher. He, he, he doesn't hide his hands. He puts them out and says, look at me, I'm kosher. So that's why that's the most trafer animal that exists. An animal that, that, a thing that shows you it's kosher simonim and tries to fool you, that is the most dangerous thing. So he says here, um, He says in the following. I remember learning this with my father so many years ago. So the story with a really good man who had a lot of money. He owned a lot of money. And he wanted to go to Israel. So he gathered all his money and he started on his way to Israel. In the middle of the way, he came to a city and he saw a Jew and this Jew's name was Rabbi Alexander. And this Jew sat, sat, used to sit in shul most of the time, wrapped in a talus, wrapped in trillin, and davening. So this person who had all the money said in his heart, If I'm going to leave my money here before I go to Israel, because there's robbers on the way, I'm going to give it to a chash of a Jew. This Jew <coughs> looks very chash Okay? When I come back from Israel, I'll take back my money. Okay. So, he said, I'm not going to take my money with me because I'm scared 
that there'll be people on the way and they're going to find out they have a lot of money and they're going to steal. He waited in shul till this guy who was wrapped up in his towels and his tefillin till he finished davening. When he finished davening, he came to him. He said, well, I want to go to Yisrael and I'm going through strange lands. I don't know anybody here. Would you do me a favor? Could I leave you all my money until I come back? And then I'll take it from you. I'm a lawyer, Alexander. You spoke very well. You give me all the money, and I'll watch it with my money, and don't worry, when you come back, I'll give you back the money. Okay, he did so. He gave Alexander all his money, and he went. Many days passed by. Went to Israel, he bought a house, told his wife, okay, listen, you live here, I'm going back to Chutzaret, to Rabbi Alexander, I'm going to go get my money. So, he comes back to Alexander, Yedidi Hayekar, my good friend, Hachli Pigdaini, give me back my money. I'm going to let Alexander, Ani Makircha? I know you. I never saw you before. When this Chassid heard this, he began to shake. And he fell to the earth. And he begged him, Don't do this to me. This is all my money. Don't do this to me. Hitler, Alexander, Alexander began to scream at him and embarrass him. He started telling everyone, this guy makes up a story. I don't know what he's talking about. She came I never saw him. I never took anything from him. When this chassid saw this, he realized he's in bad shape. He went to shul. And he began to cry in front of God. You are the master of the world. And in you I put all my belief. When I saw this Jew wrapped up in a talus and filling all day and davening, I gave him all my money. I see that all the sitkis is here just to fool people. I'm begging you to do me miracles. Take revenge from this person. Alright? So he cried out his heart. But my Levite. Levi showed up in Shul. It's pretty good. That's really damn good. But Abalai and Eliyahu said to this Chassid who lost all his money, don't worry. Go to this man's house. He's not home. Go to his wife, Shal Alexander, and tell her, Simonzeh, tell her I want to give you, I want my stuff. And this is the sign that your husband gave me. That last year Pesach, you both ate chametz. And also that on Yom Kippur, you ate. Before you went to Shul. No one in the world knows this. So if you're going to come and tell her that her husband told you this, she'll believe you. Because no one else knows this. And that her husband said you should give her this, she'll give it to you. He waited till Alexander left his house. He went into the house. She gave him all his money back. Because she thought it must have been her husband. No one else knew this. He went back home. He went back to Israel and he was happy. 
and he thanked Hashem. When Alexander came home, so she told him this guy came and gave me all these signs. He said, uh-oh, now that this man knows that we ate on Chometz on Pesach, and he knows that we ate on Yom Kippur, this guy is going to tell everybody, we won't be able to live here. They both ran away. When a sipper has there from this story, on Ulamdim we learn, a person who is showing off to everyone how from he is, it's very important that you know that, you have to worry that he's doing it in order to fool the Brios. What's the knach here? What's the point here? So if I see a guy davening tomorrow, Shimon for 40 minutes, he's stealing from everybody? The answer is no. If he specifically, this guy, after everyone left shul, he stayed so everybody would see him. In other words, a tzaddik doesn't want you to see his, you know, what he's doing special. Just the opposite, he hides it. You know, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, all of a sudden, he, his Shimon was probably shorter than most of ours. Because he didn't want in yeshiva that people should sit and wait until he finishes Shmon Esrei. So he would, he would not do an extra, extra one Shmon Esrei. I'm sure at home, you know, whenever he, whenever he said to him, whatever it is, he said, but he specifically didn't, people, people who show off, that's Chazar, he's putting his hands out. People are very, you know, I want you to know how honest I am. Uh, uh, uh. Person who's honest, he doesn't need to talk about it. Lahavdo, Elef Alfe Avdolos. So I used to play a lot of ball. I used to play basketball in Marine Park over here. Now, Marine Park, the way it works, <coughs> there's 50 guys waiting for next. So when you have next, you can pick two guys, because we play three on three, and then as long as you win, you stay on the court. If you lose, then you got to go all the way to the end of the line and wait next again. It's three hours. I would go home. So if I had a bad team, we played one game and out, it was, I could wait an hour to play one game and out. So it was very important who you picked to be on your team. If you pick two Super Bowl players, you know, great players, you can be there all day. You can win every single game. So when I first came to Marine Park, and I used to play when I was much younger, so the guys that used to come down with the Nick jerseys, and it matches the headband, and it matches the wristband, and the brand new sneakers, and they're blue, and they match the socks. The guy looked like he came right out of the garden, right? And he had all the stuff on. And during practice, you know, when they're shooting around, he would slap the backboard. And you're like, oh, my God, the guy must be a superstar. They were the worst players. The worst players. You would lose right away. They could not play. Why? Because if you got to get dressed like that to impress me, it means you don't have game. So I learned to pick the guys that the sneakers are ripped. They got a white undershirt with, a, with the socks that are drooping. And they look like they, 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 they don't have money to put anything together. And there's no sweatbands and no headbands. They had game. They didn't, they, when they got on the court to play, they didn't need all the flashy stuff. The guys who have all the flashy stuff, I remember we had a hockey game up in Muncie. I'll never forget this. So there was a Brooklyn team coming to play us. It was a Jewish team. We were a Jewish team. And in Muncie, we didn't have any money, whatever it was. So I don't want to get into the outfit, whatever it is, but we didn't even have stuff to protect ourselves. So we used to use washcloth. Okay, I don't have to explain to you exactly how, what. Anyone who plays hockey knows exactly what I'm talking about, right? So, so we, 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 had no, we had no equipment. You guys don't play hockey, so you don't know. But, but we, we had no equipment. So we were poor guys. So, we, you know, so even our team, nothing matched. 
Right? Every guy got dressed for whatever pants you had, whatever shirt you had. This team was coming from Borough Park, right? And the whole team showed up. They got out of a van. They were all in Ranger jerseys, Ranger helmets, the, the blue socks, brand new skates. And we were like, I was like, I remember telling my friends, like, we are dead. They are going to kill us. Because we're, we're, we're not that kind of team. These guys, are like, Rangers, look at the Rangers. What the helmets, brand new helmets, uniform, knee pads, shoulder pads. We're like, we put towels in our shoulders. I mean, we came up with all this, you know, stupid stuff. And I was like, man, the goalie had these huge pads. It was like, there's no way we can play these guys. We're not, we're not, we can't play like them. We beat them like 19 to 2. It wasn't a game. It wasn't a game. If you have game, you don't need to show anybody. You show it on the court. If you're from, you don't, if you're from, if you give tzedakah, right, you, nobody needs to know about it. If you, if you, if you're showing everybody, something's wrong. Why are you showing that to everybody? Why does everyone have to know that you're from? Why do you have to show off to everybody? Now that's what he's saying in this story. What he's saying in the story is, not that you shouldn't dive in a wrong shoulder, not that someone who's from is, is, you can't trust him. Just the opposite. But someone who is showing you how from he is. That's the guy you have to worry about. It's the same thing in every, in every Ponzi scheme. You can learn it from this story. In every Ponzi scheme, right? I got caught in, in, a, in a little bit of a real estate many years ago where I got burnt. How did I get burnt? The first time the guy came, he borrowed $10,000 and he paid it back. Momish, 30 days, he paid it back. The next time he needed $50,000 for a deal, he paid it back. And then you'll get part of the deal. You'll be a partner. And he built me up and he built me up, right? And he was so honest. He was on the day. If he wasn't been a couple of days late, I would have said, I don't know if I want to deal with him. I would have thought he's a crook. He's not a, this guy was a crook. So he kept showing me what a great guy, how honest he is, my word's a word, and then he burnt me for a lot of money. So because someone who, someone who's honest and he doesn't have to, you know, prove it, he's proving it. Why are you proving it to me? What? What? It's too good to be true. Well, no, the deal wasn't too good to be true. He he hurt a lot of people because he he built that he built that relationship. He built that you know that honesty. He was showing everyone how honest he was. Yeah. I got hurt also by someone who was like, "We're gonna we're gonna build a we're gonna build a Ornava. We're gonna we're gonna it's gonna be all over the world." And he was talking tzedakah and tzedakah, and it's all gonna be about tzedakah, and we don't even want to make money. And I just fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. Thinking that the whole thing was shaped Shemayim. He's a big guy. If he stole money from everybody, it's mamish. It's mamish from here. Be careful. The guy who says, "Look, I'm kosher. I'm kosher." Back off. Back off. The guy who says, "I got game. I got game. Look how I'm dressed." Eh. If you got game, you don't need to be dressed that way. You don't need to show off. That's what he says over here. That, that's why the chazer is so treif. It's not just treif that it's not kosher. It's has a double treif. It's double trafe is that it's, that it, what's it called? We lost the speaker? Yeah. Oh, that's going to sound interesting. Mm, it's going to sound like very muffled. <coughs> okay. I want to just talk a little bit about Pesach, and we'll let you go. Okay, so we're going to start. I hope by Pesach we'll go through the whole Kavli Yasha. We're going to start with a little bit interesting stuff. I don't think I ever taught this before. Um, we're going to talk about Chaydesh Nisan. Right? We're now on the other side of, of, of Adar. The moon is getting smaller, so it's a little bit ka- Kabbalistic. But it says the following. 
Pashashmos. This month is for you. What does that mean? This month is for you. Rosh Chodesh Nisan. Lachem is the same oisiyos as Melech, right? It is Rosh Chodesh Nisan is the Melech of all Rosh Chodesh. Okay. Um, oh, this is very interesting. Give me a sitter from back there. If, if there's a spot, is there a spot sitter? Is there a spot sitter back there? Uh, an arch scroll spot? Yeah, I need one. Give me one. Yeah. Perfect. Very fascinating. No, this is perfect. Because they have in Rishchidesh the different names of Hashem. So it, when you say Rishchidesh, when you when you daven Svarj, so it has every month has different names of Hashem. The month of Nisan is Yud Kevavke. Is Hashem's name the right way? Every other month, the name is, is all mixed up. But this month, coming up, the month of Nisan, Hashem's name is Yudke Vavke. In the month of Tammuz, right, the, the Hashem's name is the opposite. It's backwards. It's Hey, Vav, Hey, Yud. So backwards, it's Yudke Vavke. It's backwards. Tammuz is when all the trouble of the base of Major start. And Tammuz is very, it's full of Din. So Nisan is correct way. Tammuz is backwards. In the fight between Haman and and um, and Esther. So when Haman came back from being invited to Esther, he said, "But since Mordechai didn't bow to me, right?" He said, "Zeh enenu shava li." All this is not worth anything to me because even though I'm getting all this greatness, I don't have I don't have Mordechai bowing down to me. So what he did is he spelled Hashem's name backwards. He took Hashem's name and Zeh. Hey, right? The last letter. Hey, and Enu, Vav, Shave, Hey, Li, Yud. So when he said Zeh, Shavali, he spelled Hashem's name specifically. This is all not worth it to me. He wanted to bring Din on Klai Yisrael, that we're not worth saving, right? Esther Hamalka said, Im Al Hamelech Tov Yavo Yavo Yud. Hamelech, hey, Vahaman, Vav. What's the last word there? What? Hayom, right? Hayom, hey. So she, when he when he came, when he came, when he turned Hashem's name backwards, she went back and turned it back to the first letters, which is Yud Kevavke. So Nisan is a very very holy month because Nisan is the month, not Tishrei. Nisan is the month. That Hashem's name is spelled the correct way. Okay. So he says, um, there are two months that we dab, okay, he says this, Echidish Tishrei, Mispalam Hamesim Alachayim. The, the, the people who passed away into the next world, the Echidish Tishrei, they dab for us in Shemayim because it's, it's the month of being judged, right? But in, in the month of Nisan, we actually dab in for them. And he says something very scary. Um, he says that that in this month is when things begin to grow from the earth. And he says that um, people who are never punished and they come down to this world and they're put into the ground, right? So um, they go from the way it works in Kabbalah, the way it works in in, Gil, in, in, in Gilgal is the lowest Gilgal is. Um, 
Offor is dirt. It has no, it doesn't have any life, right? Stone. It's called daimame. The lowest guild a person can be put in when he comes back to this world, the most painful is domame. It has no life, right? Earth, rocks, stones. Then comes sameach. Then comes, um, chai. Then comes midaber. So Baruch Hashem, all of us over here, we're not stone. We're not plants. We're not animals. We're humans. So we've been through, either we've been through, sometimes you can skip, but we're at the top of our Gilgal. Don't get put back down, you know, to the beginning of the Gilgal. We're, we're at Medaver, which is huge responsibility. Because some of us, Neshamas in this room, could have taken a thousand years to get to be a human being. So, you're finally here. Don't, don't, don't mess it up. You, you got to the big race. You know what I mean? You got to the marathon. So, so in Nisan, the, the Neshamas go from the, the earth, into the plants, because the Nisan is when things begin to grow. Bloom, right? Spring. It's when things begin to grow. So it's when, when, um, domain becomes Tzomeach. And he says, he has a whole thriller here that, I, I never said this thriller, but he has a whole thriller to say for all these people that are in the earth. But, uh, it's not something that we say. Okay. Anyway, um, so, the Neshamas of the bad people are stuck in the plants. Kadesh Yuchlim Balachayim. So that animals will eat them. Then when a human being comes across and he eats the meat, or the vegetables, if the person is kosher and he makes a bracha, you can be masakin that neshama. It's either, it's either with gilgul, it's a gilgul in a plant, or in meat. And you can bring this neshama to gedusha through a bracha. You take them from the darkness and you bring them into the light. If you eat the plant, a vegetable, a fruit, that the neshama is in, it doesn't have to go into an animal. So if you take a, if you take a fruit, and the neshama in that fruit, and you make a bracha on the fruit, that didn't have to be eaten by an, a plant, an animal, and then, be, and then be eaten as meat into a human being. So I don't know, vegetarians, you know, vegetarians can also be masaki um, neshamas. You don't have to eat meat. Okay. Now, so this is, this is the, month of, the month of Nisan. This is where it starts. So he says, therefore, because Nisan, we have to do tshuva. He says, um, we have to break our midas rice. We have to work on on doing tshuva because and this is something we'll talk in the, in the next couple of weeks of the whole the whole story of chametz. What is chametz? Why why does Hashem have problems with chametz? What is wrong with chametz? Crumbs. I mean, it's not something that's us a whole year. You're allowed to eat bread a whole year. What is what is this whole thing of of chametz? And and just to start it off, and we'll end with this. And that's what we really need to start working on already. What's the problem with chametz? So the problem with chametz is that chametz rises without any work. In other words, if you leave the dough, right? I, I told you the story, a very funny story with me. So the, the, the Shabbos after Pesach is called Shlisselchala, right? It's a skula, and of course everybody does skulas, right? So you, you put a key into the chala, and then you bake it in the dough, you bake it. 
And then you have it on Shabbos, and you cut the key, and the key's in the challah. And it's called Shlisel Challah. See them make the challah look like a key. Right? What's the whole thing? Because you Pesach, you didn't eat chametz. And now Hashem's gonna open up the Shlisel, he's gonna open up the, right? Okay. So, my wife doesn't bake challah. So she sent me to the store. And she said, go buy me challah. Okay. Who makes pre-made challah? Kinari kosher. I don't know if you've ever seen it in a little blue box. So I go to Glotmart, and I'm going to buy two boxes, Kinneret Chalo, so we can put Schlissel. Schlissel, my idea was, because I'm a big Kabbalist, I'm going to put my safe deposit box Schlissel in there, so I make a lot of money, and I'm going to put my front door Schlissel in there, so that my house, I'm able to extend it, right? That's what I'm thinking, right? So I, I, I get two Chalos, one for the safe deposit box, and one for the front door. So I come to, I come to Glotmart, and I open up the freezer. I open up the freezer, and I have this little blue box, right? It says canary kosher challah. So I go back to the lady by the counter, and I'm like, "Don't tell me you're sold out from the big challahs." She says, "No, we have the challahs in the freezer." I'm like, "No, I don't want bilkalach. My wife wants to bake a big challah. I don't want bilkalach." She goes, "Bilkalach." Manager, manager comes and says, "I said to the manager, don't tell me you sold out from all the big challahs." What are you talking about? I'm like, you got Bilkawach? He goes, Canary Coach doesn't make Bilkawach. I'm like, really? Come to the freezer. I go to the freezer. It's a little blue box. He says, where do you see Bilkawach? I'm like, it's a little blue box. He goes, no, no, no. That's the big challah. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, I see your wife never baked challah. You take that challah, right? And you, whatever you have to put on it, the eggs and the sesame seeds, then you put it under a towel and you just leave it there. For four hours. You don't touch it. And you take the towel off, it's this big. Because dough rises. I never saw dough, I didn't know that dough rises. So in the freezer, it's a little thing. I'm thinking it's a bilkalach. I made such an idiot out of myself. Right? And the guy's like, there's no, we don't make bilkalach. These are real cows. And, cause I didn't know. Right? Four hours later, these two monsters growing. Right? Huge, huge, huge cows. That's the problem with chametz. Problem with chametz is that what we learn from chametz is to become great, you don't have to do any work. And that's the satan. The satan is that you don't have to do any work. No work. Just let it be. It's going to happen. There's no such thing. A person for him to grow spiritually, it takes a lot of work. And that is why matzah, which is the opposite, from the second that the water meets the flour, you cannot stop working it. It can never be left alone. He mixes it. They roll it. They make it into little pieces. They roll it. They make holes in it. They bring it and they put it into the oven. It's never left alone for a second. To teach us, matzah is the opposite of chametz. Matzah is ruchnius. If you want to ruch, if you want ruchnius, if you want to grow, you can't take vacation. There's no vacation. You have to work and you have to work and you have to work and you have to continue working on yourself. A person who chills, right? Just like, hey, I don't have to do anything. Those are the kids, those are the people who become chametz. They talk and become chametz. They don't do anything with their life. They don't do any work. They get into all kinds of crazy trouble. So that's really the, 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 the essence difference between chametz and matzah is one of them you have to work all the time and one of them you don't have to work at all. And what's the difference between the two? What's the difference? Chametz, right? Chametz is ches mem tzadik. What's matzah? Mem tzadik hey. So the difference between chametz and matzah is the difference between a hay and a ches. What is the difference between a hay and a ches? A little? 
A little, little space. A little teeny space, right? The difference between chametz and matzah is a little space. Sometimes, and I, I see this with kids and with adults, with everybody, you work, you work, and you work, and your mama stop working like a second before. A second before you reach, we, we, that's, that's the power of, of the, one of the things that this kid went through yesterday that I was talking to is that he talked at work, they worked, they worked in yeshiva, and then, and then just as he was getting there, some, somebody put him down, and he, and he stepped out. And, and I told him, if you wouldn't have stepped down and you would have just pushed a little bit more, Yitaka would have become a huge Tamachacham and you wouldn't be involved in atheism and with all this other stuff. It's usually, the difference between, between Chametz and Matzah is a teeny little bit. Is a couple of seconds, is a couple of minutes of work. And, and, and now's the time to do work, you know, on our Ruchnias. It's, it's very, very challenging out there. I have never in my life gotten so many phone calls. I have to say this, it's very, very sad. In the last six months, I cannot tell you how many people have called me that their daughter or their son is dating a non-Jew. Now, I'm talking about, I'm not talking about the assimilated modern Jew. I'm talking about the Borough Park, Flatbush, Williamsburg, normal Baltimore, Lakewood, normal from homes. And this was something that was just such a no-no. It was like, you know, Shabbos, all this other stuff, but not marrying, not into marrying. Can I tell you how many broken people I've never in 36 years of being in Chinuch dealt with so much intermarriage or interdating? <laughs> I don't know if they're all going to get married, but definitely interdating. And I, I went out 2 o'clock at night one night to speak to a girl who came home to tell her mother that she's engaged to a guy from, 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 from a different country. Her mother sat there, from from lady, works in a, in a base alcove. She's a teacher. She sat there, she, she, she's like, what? What are, you talking, what are you talking about? She said, Ma, I have good news and bad news. What? Good news is I'm engaged. Her mother was like, oh, oh Mazel Tov. No, no Mazel Tov, he's a guy. This woman called me up, and she's like, well, and she was like bubbling, she didn't know what she was saying. She's like, you have to come. It was like, I don't know, 12, 1 o'clock in the night. I went, I went to the house to talk to this girl. This girl went to be Siakov as a kid. All the way to be married, to marry her, she's engaged to a guy. So, so, it's, it's, it's at a point right now where, where, where the assimilation is now going into the firm world. It never went into the firm world. We were 80% assimilation outside of our little chevra. But now, in the firm world, for a child to come home and tell her mother that I'm, and it's the Smartic world, and it's the Ashkenazic world, and it's the Hasidic world, doesn't make a difference. It doesn't make a difference. So, so the, the people that are the Kedushu, the Tahara, we have to work harder. That, that, that we should have this chutz, that we shouldn't lose so many kids. It's, it's mamish, it's crazy. And I see that, that little hole there between the hay and the ches, that little hole is, is such a big hole. And if you, and, and, and I, I spoke about it this week, um, Amalek, right? What is Amalek? Amalek is doubt. All the swarms say that. Amalek is doubt. If I could get you to doubt Hashem a drop, right? If I could do that, and I can go in and totally, and, and, and that's what this footsteps does. Just get you to doubt him on one, doubt God on one thing, like, why do you need to wear tits, right? And I get you to doubt on that mitzvah, once you open that hole, that was Amalek's thing. Shekachem Aderech, right? They didn't go after the strong people. They went after the people that were outside the cloud. They went after the people that had one question, that had two questions. Karcha also means, not only I met you, but Karcha comes from the word Karach. Just cool you off a little bit. Don't get so excited about Yiddishkeit. 
to cool the Jew off a little bit. It's not so exciting, it's not so great, it's not as good as you think. That's the Kayak of, of Amalek. And that goes so far that a woman can call me and say that she, her daughter came home, a from lady, a teacher in a Beisakov, that her daughter came home and said, I get a Mazel Tov, good news and bad news. It's, it's, it's a Shrek. No one should ever, 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 ever hear of such a thing. Where a child comes home and tells their parent, I get a Mazel Tov, but you're not going to be happy because he's not Jewish. Not that he's not from. Not that he's modern. He's not Jewish, and he doesn't want to be a Jew. And I don't even want him to be a Jew. So we have to daven for Klai Yisrael, and we have to work on ourselves. And in order to work on ourselves, we have to remember that the matzah can never be left alone. It can never be left alone. We have to do internal work. And if you're doing mitzvahs and you're doing good things, not everybody needs to know about it. The more you do secretly, I sort of wish that nobody knew my name. Because I know I'm going to come to the next world after 120 years, and I'm probably not going to get any credit. Because I get so much credit in this world wherever I go. Oh, Walt, you did this, you did that. I know a guy that does as much as I do. As much as I do, maybe more than I do, and nobody knows his name. I am jealous of him. Nobody will ever meet him in the street and say, thank you, you saved my daughter. He has saved thousands of children, and nobody knows his name. How does he do it? Whatever he does, he lays so low, right? He didn't come to Ganeidin, it's all his. Right? There's no mitzvah in putting your hands out and saying, I'm kosher, I'm special, look at me. Just the opposite. Your tzula and your relationship with God should, should be quiet. Not, not in everybody's face. So I just wish everyone that all our, all our lettering should always be a yud kei And of course, should help us because uh, I, I am at my wit's end to tell you the truth. It's, it doesn't, it does not stop for a second. I wish I didn't have to raise money. I would have more time for kids. It does not Stop my phone today, yesterday, Chassidisha kids, Chassidisha kids, Chassidisha girls, Chassidisha boys, Svardi kids, Syrian kids, Ashkenaz kids. Every, everywhere, it does not stop. From every Avera, whether it's intermarriage, boys and girls, Chil Shabbos is rampant. You know, this is not the good convention, but I'm just telling you, Chil Shabbos is rampant. Mamish, anti-Shabbos. It's not normal. We never had this. We never had this. Assimilation in the firm world, and, and, and Chil Shabbos in the Frum world? Never had this before. So it's our job to, to, you know, the whole, the whole mitzvah of what we're coming out of Purim is Shlachmanus Ishrayeo. What's the, I told this to a lady today. I said, what's really the greatest Shlachmanus Ishrayeo? What's the greatest present you could give your friend? Anyone here know? I should have made the speech when I, I, I tried to raise money Purim night for Ornava. I got speeches. I didn't get money. But what I should have told them is, what's the biggest shlachmas ishrayo? The biggest present you can give your friend is give them back their child. There's no bigger present in the world. Give them back their child. A child that's off the derech, what bigger present in the world is to bring that child back to his parents. That's the biggest shlachmas because it's shlachmas. And it's about Thomas Lev Yainin because these people are tzibrochen and they're totally, totally broken. Mamish, mamish broken. It's parsume nisa. You bring this back, person back to Judaism. There's no bigger shlachmanus, no money, no food, no hamantasha, to bring a child back to his parents, to bring a child back to Hashem. That is the greatest shlachmanus you could send to Hashem, is to bring back a child. And if that child happens to be you, it's even a bigger shlachmanus, to bring yourself back to Hashem. You should all have a slacha, and we should talk a, we should be bulbous and blood, it says that, Arab Pesach, the Kahanim walked with blood up to their knees. I'm a client, I'm ready.
You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.